I encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 16. So if you have a physical copy of the Bible with you today, a paper copy, or is, is increasingly the, the trend, if you have it on your phone or on your device, I really encourage you to look at these verses with me and at other verses in different parts of the Bible that I'll be making reference to over the next while. And we have been spending time together in the book of Acts. We're looking at this story of the continuing work of the Lord Jesus in his church. And recently we have joined Paul and his friends as they bring the gospel to Europe for the very first time. We're in chapter 16. We are currently in Philippi, which was a Roman colony in a region called Macedonia. And there we hear about three people in that city who had their lives changed by the Lord. So last week we thought about Lydia, and remember that Lydia was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew, and in many ways she was not the most obvious person to put her life or commit her life to the Lord Jesus. But on that day when she met with Paul, as Luke tells us back in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And that's what God does. This is what God's Holy Spirit does as it works in the lives of people. It was the Lord who brought about a change of heart and a desire to know Christ. So that as we look at the missionaries in this city over these weeks, this is such a great thing for us to see and to think about. God at work opening hearts and changing lives. So that today, if you are not yet a believer in and a follower of Jesus, then this is the work that God desires to do and the work that he can do in your life. And don't resist that work. Or for us who are disciples in Christ, for us as a church, we learn again that we need the help of the Lord, that it is God who needs to be at work in us and through us as a church. It's He who brings about the change. So rather than us getting big ideas about ourselves and toving ourselves up and thinking, oh, it's great that we can do this or we are doing that as a church, instead we should humbly pray. We should seek the Lord and His work in the hearts and the lives of people today. And for those who are concerned about a loved one who seems to be far from the Lord, well, you can take encouragement from what we are reading here in Acts 16. The heart of your loved one can be opened to the truth about Jesus, that God is powerful enough to change their life. So keep praying and trusting that that will be the case. And today we are meeting the second person who Luke tells us had their life changed when they met with Paul and his friends in the city of Philippi. And there could not be a greater contrast between this person and Lydia who we thought about last week. Think about the contrast between them. Lydia was a wealthy merchant. She was someone of status and influence, whereas this slave girl was poor. 
and in many ways she would have been regarded as being an Lydia was, we are told back in verse 14, a worshiper of God. She was a God-fearing Gentile. Whereas this girl was from a completely pagan background. And on top of that, she was possessed by an evil spirit and held captive. And straight away, that provides a brilliant lesson for us as a church, doesn't it? It is a great reminder that the Lord works in the lives of people from all kinds of backgrounds. Too often we might imagine that the Lord will only work in the lives of people who are just like us. But by His grace, God changes people from every section of society. He changes rich and poor, those who came from a religious background and those who came from none. And it's a reminder that all of these people, whatever their background, whatever their status, they have a great need of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that this should give us both confidence and a desire to bring the gospel of Jesus to all people and to all places. So with that in mind, let's consider the story of this particular girl. And I want to look at these verses using a few different headings. And the main heading and the majority of our time today is going to be spent on this reality, that is the danger of evil. And maybe some of the things that you will hear as we explore the danger of evil will be things that you will be uncomfortable with or maybe even a little bit unsure of. I really don't imagine there's going to be any organ pipe counting over the next five or ten minutes. Let's listen carefully to what God is saying to us in His Word. And this girl who we meet was not named by Luke. That probably tells us something in itself. She was of a very low status. And we're introduced to her by Luke in verse 16. Listen again to what he tells us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So we're told by Luke in verse 16 two very tragic things about this girl. The first might sound strange to our modern ears, and that is that she had a spirit. In other words, she had been possessed by a demon, by an evil or an unclean spirit which had entered her life, and, and by its presence, she was reputedly able to tell people's fortunes, which was just as much a preoccupation back then as it is today. And the other thing, the other tragic thing that we learn about this girl is something that we are all too aware of in our time and our society, and it's something that we're very sensitive to. And that is that she was controlled and she was used by others. Later on in verse 19, Luke makes reference to her owners, plural. Do you see that? So this girl was a gold mine that a number of people wanted to exploit. 
And we are all too familiar with this. We think of those phrases and those words of the moment, coercive control, exploitation, slavery. Well, here we see it in Philippi. It was all happening to this girl. And here's the key thing for us to understand and take heed of. What some would have considered as being this girl's superpower was actually something that enslaved this poor girl. So that her behavior in verses 18 and 19, if you scan down through those verses, shows that she was not in control of her senses. And she's one of many cases that we encounter in Scripture that demonstrate the destructive power of evil. So that Luke, who witnessed this girl's behavior, and remember that he talks about us, her following us in verse 17, Luke was present on this day. Luke also tells of similar situations in the gospel where the Lord Jesus set people free from demonic possession. So if you turn back in your Bibles to Luke's gospel, and first of all to Luke chapter 8, and in verse 27, we hear of a man who lived in the tombs. Demonic possession had so ruined his life that instead of him living within his community amongst the living, he was banished out to the edges of society and was now literally living among the dead. And then in the following chapter in Luke 9, we read of a man who begs the Lord Jesus to help his demon-possessed son because, as he puts it, this demon is destroying him. Verse 39. So today as we're confronted with these accounts of evil ruining the lives of people, there's surely an important balance for us to strike. On the one hand, we as Christians are not to see the demonic in absolutely every problem or painful situation. Because there are more than enough causes of problems and difficulties and pain in people's lives, ranging from psychiatric illness to abuse of drugs or alcohol or even just our own tendency to sin unprompted by any evil influence because of the sinfulness of our own heart. But on the other hand, we must not be dismissive of the demonic and evil spirits. For the Lord Jesus recognized their existence and He encountered them throughout His ministry. And some of us in ministry witness at first hand the activity of demonic spirits and the havoc that it brings to individuals and families. And it's my observation that the majority of believers don't actually believe when it comes to this reality and this spiritual activity. That many, many Christians simply dismiss the idea of demons and evil spirits being active in our world and in people's lives. But here as we're given yet another example of evil robbing someone from, of their freedom, what should our response be? Well, there can only be one response. 
and that is to run a mile from evil. To run a mile from evil in our lives. Last Monday, which in theory is my day off, I was a real nerd. I went to the cinema on my own to watch Oppenheimer, and it was an interesting show. But before that film began, there were trailers, and one of the trailers was for the latest Exorcist movie. And while I could not unhear it because of the volume of the cinema, I closed my eyes and I looked down and I prayed. And I prayed because it troubled me. And it troubled me because I have come face to face with such evil. And it is a truly horrible thing. And so we listen today to Paul's command in Romans 12 verse 9. This is not kids play and is not simply a kids talk. Paul commands us, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And when it comes to demonic activity in someone's life, there is always an inlet. There is always a way in. Indeed, when someone is filled with God's Holy Spirit, they are immune from such possession. There is always a way in. There is always an activity or an openness to an influence that allows an evil spirit to move in. So, what are we talking about? Because there's no point in me just being pie in the sky saying, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. What is it that we should hate? What is it that we should run a mile from? Let me give you from my experience of demonic activity in the lives of people and from what I've heard from other mature Christians, some of those inlets, those way in, ways in for such evil, clairvoyance and the use of witch doctors, fortune tellers, tarot card readers. And many people, this is a holiday season, and many people do things on holiday that they would never dream of doing at home. And I have seen the direct influence of such activity, I really have, in the lives of other people. Watching movies that explore themes of the demonic. I once dealt with a teenage boy who exposed himself to such things. Playing games that call upon the presence of a spirit. Imagery and symbolism and oaths related to certain secret societies, some alternative therapies, so that even things that seem quite harmless and mainstream, it is wise to explore the basis for certain activities and practices, such as certain types of meditation and mindfulness, yoga and color runs and the like, and also the use of abortion facilities as well. Now, as I list all of that, some of you may think that I'm completely nuts, and that's okay. And some of you might be really annoyed because of something specific that I've mentioned as happened the last time I preached here on this in 2017, looking at Mark's gospel. But I want you to know that this is really serious stuff. And as a pastor, I am tasked with your care, and I cannot ignore 
the destructive power of evil. And I want to say today, very hopefully, because we are people of the gospel, that if you've been exposed to some of these things, and inevitably some of you will have, if what you're hearing makes you in any way fearful, then please, please know the truth of the gospel. It really is good news. There is forgiveness. There is healing. There's deliverance found at the cross. Well, you're not counting organ pipes now, are you? When we consider the, the, the destructive power of evil, how we need rescue, how we need a strong Savior. And so that brings us to the next of our headings, a lot less time spent on this, the truth about Jesus. And the truth about who Paul and his fellow missionaries are serving comes that day from an unexpected source. It comes from this girl, or more precisely, the spirit that is controlling her. And this is a feature that we get to see elsewhere in Scripture, that evil spirits who are operating in a realm that we are unfamiliar with, they understand all too well the exact identity of God and His Son. So what does this girl say about Paul and Luke and the others? Well, listen again to verse 17. She's going along following them, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And it's a pretty good summary of the gospel and those who are called to bring that message to others. It's the message of what the Lord of the universe has done in sending His Son to be the way of salvation, to rescue us from sin and its everlasting consequences. And I simply ask you today, do you believe this? Have you turned to Him? Because evil destroys and it enslaves and it ruins lives. But Jesus, Jesus restores and He sets people free. He redeems lives so that we can truly become the people that God created us to be. And we get to see that in this passage. We get to see how God changes a life. Because while Luke does not explicitly tell us, this girl is delivered in so many ways that day. What happens? Well, Paul gets fed up with her ranting, but understand this, Paul is not angry with this girl. He is angry at the spirit who has taken control of her life, and he rebukes that spirit. Verse 18, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And what happens? We're told at that moment, the spirit left her. No drama, no prolonged agony. The spirit left her. So this is not about Paul and what he can do. It's an act that is done in the name of and by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who sets people free. He can set you free. And understanding everything that we read of people who are delivered in this way in Scripture, 
I think it's very safe for us to assume that Paul would have not left that job half done, but that when this girl, to use the language of Jesus in Luke 11, where he talks about the room being swept out, that then she was filled with God's Holy Spirit, that she trusted in Christ and was saved by Him, so that a spirit could never take up residence again. And this is the good news for us as we consider today the bad news of evil. So don't despair. Don't be overwhelmed with fear. Yes, evil is powerful. It is dangerous for sure. But Jesus is far more powerful still. And when you trust in Him, and when you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, the reality for you and for us as a church is that He that is in us is greater than He that is in the world. And then one last thing, and that is the cost of evangelism. And I want you to be really sure of this, that wherever the gospel is preached, and whenever lives are changed, there will be people who are not happy. So if you are really serious about making Jesus known, if we, as we say we are as a church, if we are really serious about bringing the gospel to these villages, then expect a hard time. Because there are times when someone sees a life being given over to Jesus as being a life lost to them. So that in this particular case, the people who were exploiting this poor girl, who were making so much money out of her, were very unhappy that the source of their money making was removed. And so this is what happens in verse 19. We're told when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And you know, there are all kinds of people with a vested interest who do not want to see someone that they control coming to Christ and being set free by Him. And I don't know what you make of my job as a minister, but it's not all sweet old ladies and more tea vicar. I have met such people, abusive and controlling husbands and parents, someone exploiting another financially, someone making a living out of supplying an addict with drugs. And more than often, it's less dramatic. Someone who doesn't want to see their life or their family life upset by the changes that take place in a family member's life because their priorities change when they are set free by Christ. So if we take the gospel to others, and if we have the blessing of getting to see the Lord change lives, we need to be sure that this work will face opposition. Look at what the owners do in opposition to Paul and Silas, this crazy charge that they bring against them. We're told that they say, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Do you see nothing to do with the girl? Nothing is mentioned about this girl and what has actually happened. 
And this is what disciples of Jesus face. This is what the church ought to expect. People who oppose the gospel because it threatens their hold over others will paint Christians as being a bad influence on society, not a good one. And we are seeing that happening right now. Forget about the work that the church is doing in schools, in food banks and hostels, the help that is being given. Instead, Christians are so often portrayed as a dangerous influence, and it has always been the case. O church of Jesus Christ, we are in a war. Spiritual warfare is real. Evil is real. So that when Paul talks about believers putting on the gospel armor in Ephesians chapter 6, do you think that that's just a nice children's talk? No. Why does the church need this armor? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Today, as we have seen another life changed in Philippi, we better understand the reality and the danger of evil. We hear of our need of rescue from evil that Christ alone can bring and our need to seek the Lord's protection as a church as we face evil head on and share the good news that Christ can set people free. Amen. And so we